0: The Hamlet Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Hamlet Podcast. Tonight we've got the popcorn out, ready to have a look at Hamlet on screen. According to the editors of the Arden Shakespeare, Hamlet has been filmed over 50 times. Now, if I thought discussing the huge variety of actors who have played the title role was daunting last night, The notion of watching 50 films, even of this beloved text, is far beyond me. According to IMDb, usually quite reliable for the trivia, about 525 films have been made that give Shakespeare some form of a writing credit. It's an industry that has generated well over a billion dollars filming his plays, and it's worth noting that about 10% of these films have been versions of Hamlet. So much for the other 37 or 38 plays, if nowhere else, at the cinema, Hamlet is king. Conveniently for my purposes, Wikipedia very helpfully points out that only six of these 50-plus adaptations received a major cinematic release. The oldest of these was made in 1948, and the most recent was released in the year 2000, By the numbers, it seems quite surprising that we haven't had a major cinematic Hamlet for over two decades. Or have we? And indeed, as I'll mention later, we might be getting another one very soon. Ages ago, I made another of these bonus episodes about Sarah Bernhardt, who was the first actor of any gender expression to play the prince on film. Since then, a successful play has appeared about her performances of the part. It's called Bernhard Hamlet by Teresa Rebeck, and it had a run on Broadway in two thousand and eighteen. Hopefully, we might see more productions of it as the world comes back to itself. Within the episode about women playing Hamlet, I also made mention of the Danish actress Asta Nielsen, who played our hero in a nineteen twenty film based on the book The Mystery of Hamlet. It's not really Shakespeare. In this instance, Hamlet is actually a woman who spends most of her life disguised as a man. Rather more faithful was the first of this big six list of films, Laurence Olivier's post-war extravaganza, filmed and released in 1948. But, while the film is much more Shakespearean than its Danish predecessor, Olivier got a lot of flack for the enormous cuts and rearrangements that he made – For the sake of the cinema, Olivier cut Fortinbras, removing most of the play's political storyline in favour of a deeply psychological study. Not only that, he also cut Rosencrantz and Guildenstern completely, again keeping the focus on Hamlet and his zeal for revenge. Olivier adapted the script, directed the film, and of course played the title role. Even though the film was shot in black and white, he insisted on dyeing his hair blonde for the part. I don't know if this was in keeping with a tradition that already existed, but if it wasn't, Olivier's look for the film, with blonde hair and black tights and holding that skull, became the image of Hamlet that still exists in the minds of generations of viewers. None of this is to say that it's a bad film. It's very beautifully spoken and it won all sorts of prizes, including Oscars for Best Picture and Best Actor. The only actor ever to win an Oscar for a Shakespeare role. It had further nominations for Best Director, Best Supporting Actress and Best Music. And indeed it won the Oscars for the costume design and another for the production design for an Elsinore full of corridors and winding stairs echoing the labyrinth of Hamlet's mind. Olivier himself played the ghost, recording the voice and reworking it with all sorts of cinematic tricks. For several years a rumour persisted that John Gielgud played Hamlet's father in the film – but while he did play the ghost in various other productions, it wasn't him. Olivier would surely have been unlikely to muddy the water by casting a rival Hamlet, only recently retired from playing the role himself, anywhere near his big masterpiece. Gilgood and Olivier did share a Gertrude in Eileen Harley. In the Olivier film, she was 29 years old, while Olivier, playing her son, was 40. She returned to the role for the third time in Gielgud's 1964 production, which we spoke about last night, this time a little bit older than her on-stage son, played by Richard Burton, but only eight years older. A major element of Olivier's production was his exploration of Hamlet's Oedipus complex, so it was no accident that Gertrude was a young, beautiful woman, and that he spent so much time kissing her, to the extent that sometimes Claudius had to interrupt. This was not the case in the next Landmark Hamlet in the cinema, which was released in 1964. Another black-and-white offering, this one was directed by Grigory Kozintsev, and as you might guess from such a name, it was made in Russian. The text was translated by Boris Pasternak, and the music for the film was written by Dmitry Shostakovich, and it was music from this that started this episode. It is beautifully staged, if a film can be staged, and one of the most densely populated courts of Elsinore that you'll ever see. Again, there are significant cuts throughout, notably a great many of the soliloquies are gone. While Olivier went as far as to film the sea battle and the pirate ships, Kozinsev filmed many of the scenes by the sea. The crashing waves and the sheer expanse of the sea gave a sense of contrast, an idea of freedom that is totally out of reach for the inhabitants of this rotten, oppressive Denmark. One of the film's most striking images is of Ophelia as she is prepared for her father's funeral, strapped into a horrifying iron set of undergarments that support her extravagantly exaggerated silhouette. The film is a product of its time, of course, made by several artists who had been imprisoned during the worst years of Stalin's regime in Russia. Soon afterwards, Hamlet made his Technicolor film debut in a version by Tony Richardson, based on his production at the Roundhouse Theatre in London. This starred Nicol Williamson as Hamlet, and no less than Marianne Faithfull as Ophelia. While many critics felt that they were a very unlikely pair of lovers in Hamlet and Ophelia, Faithfull admitted in her autobiography that they were having an actual affair during its filming. Unlike its black-and-white predecessors, this film was made on a small, dark, intimate set, and on a very small budget. It wasn't anything like as successful, but to me, it feels like a really important step in the history of Shakespeare on screen. Without many of the lessons learned from this, I doubt we would ever have seen the BBC Shakespeare series about a decade later, in which Derek Jacobi played Hamlet. Before that, another hugely successful stage production, starring Richard Chamberlain, was filmed in the 1970s. If you look carefully on YouTube, I believe there's a grainy copy of it to be found online – and by all accounts it makes for electric viewing. Another epic treatment arrived in 1990, when Franco Zeffirelli turned his hand to the play. This one had a really starry cast, led by Mel Gibson as the Prince, Glenn Close as Gertrude, and Helena Bonham Carter as Ophelia. Zeffirelli was quite the poet of the medieval world, having made several previous films recreating it. These included his versions of Romeo and Juliet, The Taming of the Shrew, and Brother, Son, Sister Moon, all set in medieval or early Renaissance Italy. Hamlet went back even further in time, imagining a northern Europe probably not long after the Vikings, all furs and pelts and braids and jangling metal. In the middle of it all, for my money, Helena Bonham Carter's Ophelia is one of the most effective I have ever seen. It's such a monstrously unhelpful part for an actor, but she manages to appear smart and charming at the beginning of the film, so that her breakdown and her death feel like a real loss by the end. Gibson is far better than I thought he would be, but as my beloved mentor used to say, better is not necessarily good. In some respects, all these productions are in conversation with each other, and certainly all of them are in some kind of dialogue with that Olivier film from 1948. For all of the cuts and cheeky choices, it is a brazen, brilliant and very entertaining film. In 1996, Kenneth Branagh, by then well established as the major Shakespeare interpreter of his day, decided to take it on himself, and he likewise chose to adapt and direct and star. But this time, in a way perhaps trying to outdo Olivier, he notoriously chose to film absolutely every word of the play. And he even added extra footage featuring Priam and Hecuba, as we've discussed in the past, and Yorick, and plenty more besides. He didn't quite get as far as filming the pirates, but I think he did just about everything else. His film has an amazingly starry cast. By then, just about anybody would have said yes to being in Branagh's Hamlet, And while it is a rather punishing four hours long, it's made with such love and such awareness that it's very much worth a look. I myself have very happy memories of watching it in installments with my mother when we were on summer holidays 20 years ago this year. Soon after Branna came a radically different version of the play turned into a film by Michael Almareda in the year 2000. While Branagh had moved the whole story forward in time to the 19th century and filmed almost everything in and around Blenheim Palace, Almereda made his film in and about New York. It was very contemporary, although watching it now, the film is immediately dated by the simple fact that it was made just at the last moment before everyone on the planet got a mobile phone. It has a handheld, kind of edgy quality, enhanced by Hamlet himself being a wannabe filmmaker – The whole story takes place in and around the Denmark Corporation, an easy switch to make old Hamlet, Fortinbras and Claudius titans of industry rather than literal kings. There are some very funny little gimmicks in the film. When Hamlet is out on the street, a clever shot places him in front of a shop selling Halloween decorations so a skull hovers just over his shoulder. And then, when he delivers to be or not to be in a video store, another sign of times past, every label on every shelf around him says action. But these smart little easter eggs are not really enough to elevate what I find to be a quite mumbled, whispered, nonchalant kind of film. It does feel daring in its way, but it's so terribly understated that you never start to care about anyone. Karl MacLachlan should be perfect casting as Claudius, but we don't see enough of him, and Julia Styles does quite well as Ophelia, too, and she makes more noise than the rest of the cast combined. Again, perhaps as a reaction to the Branna choice to film every word of the text, this film is drastically cut. It makes the Olivier look encyclopaedic by comparison. What's quite wonderful about the history of Hamlet on screen so far is that the text and the story can expand and adapt to so many different styles silent movies, experimental films, Olivier's film noir, Zeffirelli's epic, Branagh's lush costume drama, Almereda's indie effort, Tony Richardson's tightly focused chamber piece, or Kozintsev's political allegory. They're all Hamlet, to be sure, but they're all their own genre into the bargain. Tonight, I've limited myself to projects that film the actual Shakespeare text, or at least some of it, but rest assured that I haven't overlooked the substantial catalogue of films that adapt it, or move away from it, or just do a version of its story, and that list stretches from medieval Denmark to Disney. Later this year, we'll see the release of a new film called The Northman, whose plot you'll certainly recognise. And right now, The Lion King is playing in Dublin, battling to stay open despite restrictions and Covid cases and every possible obstacle. Much as I look forward to watching that film again, I'll hold off for the moment. I'll save it as a treat for a little bit later. But you have my word that there'll be a further episode looking at Hamlet adaptations in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, I hope you're enjoying these last few nights of Christmas, and that you'll find the time to join me on Instagram for a daily dose of Hamlet trivia throughout the month, and hopefully the year ahead. Take care, mind yourself, and I'll speak to you again tomorrow.